Hey, friends, welcome back to the podcast B-Side with myself, Jonathan Puddle, and... Trifina, hey! So I have been uh, camped out on a few thoughts from this for like a couple of weeks. Uh, before I get there, I need to give a shout out to Dave Connors because uh, you know who decided he's a fan of Dave Connors? My 14-year-old son, <laughs> after uh, completing helping completing his work uh i'm just mumbling over my words now james my son uh edits the transcripts so i use an ai that listens to the audio and generates the transcript and then uh usually my son james sometimes me if he's not available will edit the transcript and just correct it for any errors and so james gives us a little bit of feedback on the interviews and sometimes they're like yeah that was really interesting sometimes it was like i don't think that was for me dad like sometimes he'll just be kind of like, yeah, like you guys having your adult existential crises on air. I have no resonance, but he'll hilariously announce that. And then this one, he was like, I like that guy. I like that guy. And that's quite high praise coming from James because he keeps his cards close, literally and figuratively. Uh, he plays a lot of poker as well. So anyway, uh, Dave Connors gets the endorsement of my son, which is pretty great. Hey, so here's where I've been camped out. Okay, two words. Yeah. Everything counts. Oh, okay. What's sitting with you about it? So much. So we were just talking off air beforehand about, uh, I may have mentioned this here on air before, but since we became foster parents a year and a half ago, more than a year and a half ago, it's been really, really difficult to try and write or be creative or even prepare sermons, any of the kinds of things that generally define my career at this current stage have felt really, really um, impossible while also caring for a child with, you know, complex needs, um, pretty severe trauma in her background. So the pervasive sense that I am sucking at everything and my career has no future is just kind of been my constant companion for the last year and a half. And that's a heavy burden to carry. Obviously, many people will listen to that and be like, but that's ridiculous. Like you literally published another book. You have continued the part. I'm like, yeah, 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 I understand those like real world metrics, but I have generally just felt like things are not working. And, you know, you and I have talked about this in our <laughs> over drinks many times. <laughs> I was like, can you stop talking? Because I feel very triggered. I feel like you're also speaking about my life. And so I was just, actually, no, I don't think I said this to you. I got home a little bit late from drop-off. We're recording this in the morning right now. Um, and part of it was I'd run into a fellow parent who was sharing a very similar space that they were in. Mm. I feel like in so many ways, whether it's caring for your children or our children's mental health is not the same place because of the last three years or our mental health is not the same place. I think as much as your experience is unique because of the foster parent angle and role you've taken on, I think many people are feeling this place at this place where their career is in shambles or their family life is in shambles or their marriage or relationship or their own mental health. Like it just feels like we cannot be going, like not every, like all of our burners cannot be on right now. That's right. And in my case, it feels like none of my burners are on, whether that's true or not. Right, right. So we have this, this, our own perception of our value and abilities and output and time prioritization are not always good. Our perceptions of those things are often not accurate. But uh, yeah, so, so, so many of us are in this weird struggling space. Well, Dave said, everything counts. Like laughter and joy and hanging out with your kids. Mm -hmm. And and then he then he was talking about as well this thing that not everything has to be hard. And so, in parallel to this episode going up two weeks ago, I'm editing a book for a friend uh, that will be forthcoming, and it's it's a, a booklet, a shorter book on the subject of creativity and trying to kind of like 
democratize aspects of creativity that have often sort of been held up in an ivory tower, right? Who gets to be creative and create art? Wealthy, upper-class white men, and they get to define what art is for everybody else, right? So she's kind of like laying, dropping bombs on a lot of those ideas. And, and the area that she starts to carve into halfway through is this thing of like, okay, so are you creative if you're following a recipe? Is is it only creative if you modify like three or four ingredients? Or like, what's the threshold where creativity begins? Uh, if are you creative from following a pattern, if you're sewing something, she's like, you, she used to always say, I can't sew or I don't sew, but she's like, that's actually not true. Like, I do sew and I know how to use a sewing machine. I own a sewing machine. Like, like these are these are these are privileged or privilege is the wrong word. These are, these are specific real talents just because you feel that you're not especially good or you don't feel super confident. doesn't mean that you're not doing something interesting and creative. And that is kind of, and then, and then, and then, and then talking as well about this idea as parents of like, I'm frustrated because I can't do my real important creative work because mm -hmm. my child needs care. As if childcare was not real important creative work, right? Literally requiring constant brainstorming yeah. all day long. I will specifically go and ask Maya for advice because when I can feel I have no more creative energy left, right? I will say, what are we having for, what, what do you have any suggestions of what I should make for dinner is often what I will say to her because I can feel I have no more creative energy left. Which means deciding what we have for dinner and making what we have for dinner is a creative pursuit. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And so everything counts. And so we were talking off air. You said, how am I doing? And I, I, said, I said, I'm actually doing pretty well. I think for the first time in, in quite a while, I feel like I'm doing quite well. And I feel like I have hope. And a huge part of that is because for the first time since... I've been trying to negotiate my career balance while being a foster father. For the first time, I feel content with two and a half productive hours a day. I, I've been writing a brand new book. I've been doing podcasts. I've been working on all kinds of things. I've been serving clients in a number of different ways. And when I, and I work basically from nine to noon yeah. and that, and I've known, I've known Trifina for like a year and a half that that is my max capacity, but I haven't felt good about it for you a year. Still felt guilty about it. I felt guilty and frustrated and ashamed, and all kinds of things about that until mm -hmm. now. January, this January, twenty twenty three, is the first time that I felt good about that output. Mm -hmm. Part of that is just an internal thing in me, but a big part of it is looking at all the other things and calling them valid too. That's like a whole sermon right there, right? Of what we ascribe value to. Yes. Call valid. It's so interesting. As I started saying this to you earlier, where being in relationship with you and Maya has been very healing in terms of unpacking what I ascribe value to. Because I feel similar where... I think parenting, even before we have kids, we're kind of taught, okay, so, you know, there's going to be sleepless nights and then it's going to be okay. And then you're going to quote unquote, get your body back, whatever that means. You're going to get like your mental health back. If there was postpartum, you're going to get like all of these things back. And I think we have to shift this idea of what we're going to get back because even what came, what was so interesting to me, one of the many things that was interesting in the interview with Dave was once kids are in the picture, you're not the center of the picture anymore. You're not in the frame. You are the frame. And I'm like, I just, I wish I went into that with a better understanding of it will forever change. And one day my career will not look the same. One day my mental health and my body and my marriage and whatever it looks like, my finances, nothing will ever actually go back to being what it was. But if I'm also honest, I don't know if I want it to go back to what it was. I wouldn't sacrifice having my children in the picture. I mean, okay, you're talking to me on a good day. Like there's days I'd be like, absolutely, I would go back to <laughs> trade ten thousand um, dollars right now. Right now, here we go. Um, but it is very interesting because I haven't given value to the role of raising my children or just being in relationships. So part of 
my journey for 2023, um, I'm not someone who always comes up with a word at the beginning of the year. But this year, I was sitting down with my spiritual director, and the word was embodied. Like, when can I actually be present in my body during the day? So much of me surviving parenthood and life is me disassociating to survive. Mm -hmm. We have beautiful children. One is more high needs than the other. And there are days that I feel like for me to survive that relationship and to love and to enter in, I have to detach to a way, in a way I'm like, I have to be Teflon. All the words you're saying to me sound really horrible. I need to not allow to actually enter my heart. So then I detach. And so it's become this unhealthy habit of I disassociate to survive parenting. Um, And so my spiritual director and I were like, okay, so this year the goal is solely to be present, whatever that looks like. And so it was fun, funny because then for my birthday, Maya, your wife bought me a journal of women's bodies on the front. And I loved it because I'm like, this is my embodiment journal. So every day I'm like, here are my things. When did I feel present in my body? Even if that was overwhelmed, did I allow my body to feel it? Um, and did I have a meaningful moment? So was it meaningful with myself or I gave myself grace or was there a meaningful conversation that I engaged with? And that's it. That's the value set for 2023 right now. Like, and I'm like, if I can accomplish those two things, I've had a successful day. I still feel the need to write down all the other real world, quote unquote, things I've done because I'm still working on a reframe. Um, but it's really hard to just be okay with a doing less. Yeah. Yeah. So if if everything counts then the rest that you need mm-hmm. to do the thing is a part of the thing. Yeah. Right? We. I feel like I've read this so many times. Yeah. You know, farms, you know, land for raising grain needs to lie fallow, soil needs to be replenished. But I think I've still seen those as external to the thing. The thing is working hard. And and that's the thing. And there are other things that support the thing, but they're not the thing. And I, and I think that's the shift that's happened probably in my heart and soul that my brain has somehow become aware of. Realistically, in the last hundred hours or the last like five, six days, like not long that I've just been realizing I feel okay about this and I and it's been a struggle for a long time and what are the factors that have made me feel okay about this and and it kind of comes to this everything counts that uh if and it kind of goes I guess it goes both ways right because okay if, if I'm centering on being a father mm-hmm. then obviously the attentive caregiving that I give directly to my children, is a big part of that. But work and providing financially for my family is also a part of that thing. If I'm centering my value, and my value, but if I'm centering just topically on um, the work that I do, essentially as like a guide and helper person, (laughs) then... Then my work writing and this these conversations we have and other things on the podcast are all you know direct. But the rest and the capacity that I need to have these, the creation of that capacity is also a part of that thing. It's not just some external thing. It's an intrinsic part of the thing. The rest that I need, the relaxation, the fun that I need to be having. I think I've been trying to get my head around that for a couple of years and it feels like something's dropped mm-hmm. and, and man, that is a feeling of peace. Mm-hmm. That is a feeling of hope. That is a feeling of permission to breathe and just be and take up space. I love that. That itself is so powerful and so beautiful because so often we don't give ourselves that permission to rest and to be 
and to take up space. And I feel like this is so cliche, but we talk about it all the time, right? We're not, we're human beings. We're meant to just be able to be, not to do all the time. Um, but it's such a reframe. I remember it's a, it's a little thing, but I think I just grew up with this idea of everything I do needs to be productive, right? So even if I would just sit and like watch something on TV or binge watch YouTube clips or whatever it is, there would be so much guilt and shame for wasted time. Mm-hmm. And conversation with a cousin, with one of my cousins a few years ago, and she was like, "Try. do you think that maybe part of what draws you to whatever you're watching is the art in it and the creativity in it? And it actually feeds your soul and feeds your creativity. Like there's a storyline. And I was like, oh my goodness, absolutely. It's my heart and my soul responding to something. Um, But it's a reframe. It's a reframe of how important that rest and that being is. Because I I think I see this in my life, right? I look at people who are older than me that I gravitate towards. It's the ones who have lived a full life of not just work, but of experiences and relationships, because when they talk, they speak out of the richness of that. Yes. Right. Even like the pastors or whoever the speakers that you listen to, that I listen to, it's the ones who actually live life that I gravitate towards. I'm like, Oh, you have stories and anecdotes that are real and relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, real- I'm realizing. So sorry. Do you want to, re- I'm just realizing something massive about myself as you say this. <laughs> Okay, go, 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 go. Let's hear this. When I'm in full-time caregiving mode, especially to our foster daughter, who has a lot of high needs, it get I get to this point of of drain of being super drained. But but similar to you, I have this guilt burden, right? Like I must be caring. I must be here. You know what I can choose to do internally that trumps the need? I can do something productive. And so when I need to escape from a child, the only moral out that I have historically been able to find for myself is cleaning, tidying, cooking, laundry. And so clearly there's some kind of internal value system like on the importance of being productive and not wasting time, right? And I'm not saying that being with a child is wasting time. I'm saying that when I'm overwhelmed and I need some kind of moral permission to have a distance or a boundary with my child because I've been a poorly boundaried person, I can justify, I have to go and clean the dishes right now. And so what, What? yeah, so that's the part that I just realized. It's, it's wild. I like, first of all, that's huge to acknowledge and to realize um, because I think it just speaks to what we've, given value to or what's like what is important enough right and I, I've, I've done similar things where I'm like okay I, I need to step away because I really need to get this quote-unquote work done I can't just say to them I need to step away because I need a body break and I just need to go lie down right, right. Like, it doesn't feel like that answer is justifiable well that need is justifiable yeah but and what is that yeah, right. So like two, three months ago, maybe even more now, I started playing video games again. I used to be a big gamer and wild away years of my teenagehood playing video games and then became well, a parent. You didn't wild away anything. Well, right. See, this is what I'm still trying to reframe it. And I, and I have a relevant story. Um, I started gaming again a few months ago because I, I specifically realized I'm in a rut where the the only thing I know how to fill up a day with is hard, productive work. Mm-hmm. And part of that comes from the guilt of the, the pervasive sense that I'm not doing enough. And so I thought, you know what, Jonathan, I'm going to stop playing a game. We are going to do something specifically unproductive. That is why we need to do it, because it it is the polar opposite to the trap that I always fall into because it's, it is a form of dissociation for me because what will happen is I'll get to the end of the day and I start to get a little manic. There's a dish, a single dish that's been left. I need to wash it now because I was clean, keeping the kitchen clean and I've now somehow glommed onto a clean kitchen as my, as the, the external manifestation of my internal chaos. So I'm like, okay, I need to stop this. I need to go and game. I need to go and and reading novels has has 
all also been something that I can do. But I then get into the trap of like, well, I'm going to read the right novels to be productive. You know, we talked about this with Holly Oxhandler, right? Like I'm going to go to sauna and relax so that I can be busy and productive and hardworking again. Yeah. Trying to cut off the so that. Okay, well, here's what happened. Yeah. Uh, without getting too deep into the weeds, a glitch occurred because of a recent update to the game I'm playing. And I and I lost like two weeks worth of gameplay. No. Probably like 20 hours of like a lot of quests and a lot of exploration and a lot of things done in this game. And I was really, really mad. And then I felt really foolish for feeling mad. And then I had to go upstairs and and Maya's like, what's up? You're you're off. And and I was like, it's nothing. It's just nothing. And she's like, well, you look super disappointed right now. So like, it's clearly not nothing. But but in my head, I'm I'm also battling this narrative that Maya doesn't really care about video games, and she's and she might belittle me. And I'm trying to figure out how honest am I going to be about this, and and that I feel that I do feel super disappointed. And I was like, it's just something in a video game, and blah 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 blah. And it's, and it's nothing. And then I sat around and moped around the house for like an hour. And then I went on a walk. <laughs> and as I went on this walk, big, big parts of me were like, hey, so we're feeling super dishonored right now from the way that you just completely tried to bypass that you're actually very upset. And I went on, and, and it took me a long time on this walk trying to wrestle around like, this is a meaningless video game. Mm. that contributes nothing and could so readily be classified a waste of time. And, and I feel, I feel frustrated and sad and I feel, and I feel hypocritical for feeling Mm. frustrated and sad. And I feel like all these things, and I was going around and around and around and around. So finally it dawned on me. I had this I had this memory of one of my children's precious Lego creations that they had spent hours creating getting broken and how crushed they felt and how real my empathy was for them. And suddenly I was able to be really honest that something that had brought me joy and fun that I was building towards, I lost. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter that it was a meaningless video game. It has value solely because it brought me joy. Now, translating that into words that I can communicate to my wife who doesn't care about video games, that's another whole hurdle. She cares about you. She does care about me. And see disappointment and want to honor that disappointment. That's right. And and I care about me. Hmm. And and that still was was because it was video games, it was still quite a big reframe. But Mm -hmm. anyway, that was really interesting to me. (laughs) That was really interesting in like the last two weeks. Hmm. Unpacking that. And and in within this context of everything counts, mm. everything gets to be a part of this. Now that's not to say that things can't be become a trap and end up becoming toxic. And you know, oh, I'm going to go do that thing because I always feel great. You, you can be out of your body and go and do the things that once were life giving and it not be life giving. Those are all real things. Yeah. So, be intentional. Be present. <laughs> yeah. That's the hard part. The pre- the be- I really struggle with the being present. But I do think my caveat is that sometimes doing the things I don't want to do is life giving to me. Mark will laugh at me all the time. And he's like, I'll be stomping out of the house going on a stupid walk for my stupid mental health. And do I come back feeling better? Absolutely. Okay, but yes, the, the flip side to that, I feel like, and sorry for cutting you off. <laughs> 
<laughs> is that we, but we took that, I think, way too far. And we've internalized this message that only things that we hate and are really hard are of value. Yes. Right? Like okay. no pain, no gain means if you like it, it's probably worthless and you should stop doing it. Yeah. Okay. So this is so good. This is a whole, like all of this is so good, but this has been a big learning for me. Have you ever um, done strength finder? No, I've been asked numerous times. Have I done strength finder? But no, I have not. So it's like, it's in one of the many assessments like Taze or Brig, uh, Myers-Briggs or all the things. Right. But this one specifically, it, breaks down your five top strengths. And it, there's, I think there's 33 in total. Um, and they, I don't even remember what they all range from, but the whole premise of it is determine what your five top strengths are and work on those. Because from the time we're little, it's like, okay, you're doing really good in math, but you're not doing good in English. We got to work on English. We got to get an English tutor. We got to, you know, bring that mark up versus, hey, you actually have an area you're strong in. Let's lean into that. And I think that translates as we get older. You have an area that you're delighting in. So, okay, that can be your hobby. That can be your rest. But that's not something that you can actually give value and time to. Because you're a grown-ass adult and you need to be serious. Exactly. But it's gotten to, like, Mark and I had this conversation recently where if he has a week where he doesn't come out of it feeling exhausted and burnt out or he does a sermon where he's not absolutely where it doesn't it's not incredibly difficult he yeah. feels like he's not done a good job because he's not been god right you mentioned that in the interview <laughs> okay and i've been and i've and i've been thinking about that big time because i realized this kate we we're talking this the last three weeks i've been really productive mm-hmm. and even to say that is is means the reframe is happening because i've been really productive for in two hour and two hour little windows each day and I don't feel bad about that. I genuinely have come to some huge breakthrough because I feel like this has been a great three weeks in all the different spheres of work that I do. But each day as I'm stopping, I've been like, oh, I'm not exhausted. Mm-hmm. I, and, and the instinct is keep pushing. And so it's like I trained myself. The, the, I only know I've found, I only know there, there's a limit because I'm chronically exhausted. So it's like for those of us that that paced ourselves, I guess I guess that's a phrase you could use, right? Like the pace that we had acclimatized to was was overwhelm mm-hmm. and and some kind of brutalization of our humanity. And mm-hmm. so trying to now pick those markers, right? At this point requires requires perhaps just setting some timers being like, okay after two hours I'm done but the other thing you said about delight is I guess last year I started asking myself Jonathan are you happy like mm-hmm. in the work are you enjoying the work right now because you are literally in charge of your your life and your career you have no boss but yourself I kept feeling like I have an unkind boss who's driving me harder and harder to work longer and longer hours and then I remembered I'm self-employed and and I said to somebody, my boss is not very kind to me. And they looked at me really quizzically until they realized what I was saying. But I was still realizing what I was saying. And so it's like, okay, does this bring joy? Does this bring happiness? Do I hate this? Because if I hate it, I should stop it. Yeah. And this is also coming out of this creativity book that I've been editing. Uh, the the author explained how she heard a pastor literally say that. That the, the spiritual disciplines that you hate, you probably shouldn't be doing. But but like I think especially in the church, we've done exactly what you said. Pick the weakest ones, bring up the weak ones. That's 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 important. We've got to do that. If it sucks, that's probably a sign that like the devil is like blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I went for Indian food the other day. I probably told you that story. And I really wanted to get the butter chicken, but I decided to get like the Rogan Josh because I never get Rogan Josh. And I was like, oh, but what if it's, what if I love it? I didn't love it. And I ended up just disappointed. And I said to myself, when I go for dinner tonight, because I was also going to restaurants in one day, outrageous. I need to get something that I really like. Rather than try the new experimental brave thing every single time. Jonathan, you're allowed to not feel like you're missing out on something. Just do the thing you enjoy. 
which, okay, so going this back a few minutes, even when you were talking about your creative abilities, right, or your creative bandwidth, and when you feel your creative bandwidth crashing, then your decision-making ability gets smaller, meaning then your decisions are creative, right? So even you deciding what you're going to eat is a creative decision. So I'm going to choose, when I go out with Mark, he will 90% of the time get a burger or fish and chips that says but to him that is an incredibly creative decision because there's he knows he's going to delight in it like he's, that's wild to me i know i cannot handle this I, at all. I feel this profound burden to not do the things i enjoy trifina oh i hear you maya called me on this in january and she's like you just don't value fun and pleasure like i was like <sighs> yeah, I guess you're right. I don't. I don't think about what's the fun option is and how I'm going to do this. Hence, the other day we ordered like goat biryani at like 8:30 at night because it's like, hey, we're going to do the fun thing at a ridiculous hour. Um and do it, but I just I don't. And I think too, okay, so there's so many things and we're part of this whole system and culture where the hustle harder culture, no pain, no gain, right? We always have to be working. But then also we're part of a social media culture where it's like, well, we're constantly trying new things and exposing ourselves to new things. And it's beautiful. But sometimes there can be delight in our mundane, like I'm going to go to my comfort food and I'm going to be okay with that. And feeling safe can also be a creative outlook. Yeah, I think it's no coincidence that all of this is happening for me in the time where I basically took a break from social media. Mm, yeah. Right? Like we it's it's been it's been a really helpful and healthy thing probably for most of us, especially, you know, us white people with relative privilege and power to have our stories expanded and have the center of gravity shifted and mm. and hear from voices that we weren't listening to before. So, you know, that's obviously an important value. Uh, at the same time, the the constant exposure to new, to someone else, to other, within a system that's designed to get you to keep scrolling and keep clicking and stay engaged at all costs and feel shitty about yourself as a means of someone else extracting money from your eyeballs on ad revenue. That's all part of it. Yeah. So it's been really interesting watching the way I write and the way that I am being, having coming been off social for like a, over a month and feeling generally like nothing was lost from my life and mm -hmm. wonderful things were added to my life by not being on social media. So I'm like, why do I ever go back? But there's definitely like also this sense of, I probably need to take another five or 10 years to keep internalizing and learning deeply these messages about colonialism mm -hmm. and justice. It's one thing to have someone on a, on a podcast and talk about how much it's affecting me. It's another thing to really let that seep into my my groundwater, as it were, and yeah. deeply impact my soul. And if I want to do that well, I probably can't always be doing that publicly. Yeah. And I can't be constantly ingesting new issues and uh, new advocacies if I want to really robustly be transformed by any one of these things. Ooh. You know, again, I, th I think, I, I think that one of the traps for me personally is, has been that I have so many interests mm -hmm. and so broad in my abilities and talents that it feels very indulgent to double click on any one thing. And it feels like maybe I'm robbing other people of the possibility of my helping them if I'm not keeping all options open at all times. And so to allow myself to go deep in something, including deep in joy, deep in pleasure, deep in rest, it, it feels very foreign, but it's starting to feel very necessary. And 
to, to bring this back to Dave Connors, like this, the sense that everything counts, yeah. that we get to raise our children observing a full life, not just a manic life. Mm-hmm. And their interest in go. And I think, oh man, this is what's crazy. Again, like like with, with the video game thing, it took me thinking about my child yeah. for me to understand that I had lost something of value. And so we are always so much thinking about raising our children, raising our children, but man, like the number of times that they are teaching us and like Ruben said to me the other day, he's like, daddy, we've been, we've been learning about unlearning and okay. 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 I remember the thing I wanted to share. All right, Jonathan, go for it. I feel like I'm all over the place today and you're being very gracious to me. Good. I think beautiful. This is the whole thing. It doesn't need to be productive and linear. Speaking colonization, that's like some colonization industrial revolution stuff. We're not, we're not breaking that down. Okay. Sorry. Go on. What did you remember? All this is so interconnected in my head. And I imagine for most listeners, it's not. And it feels like a whole bunch of random anecdotes. So too bad. (laughs) But, but I see all of these threads connected. We had a really big event happen with our foster daughter, like not like a big bad thing, but like just some status changes and some things that are happening in her care that are really good. And she expressed to her worker something that she wants to see happen. And her worker said, that's a really big decision you've made. Uh, Would you be able to share with me some of the reasons why? And she said, basically, it's to do a bit with with our family and long-term care. And and she said, because they make me feel safe and we play silly games. Mm. And that, like, was what this child needs. To feel safe and to play silly games. And I just thought, does that ever change? (laughs) Are you and are our needs, Trifina, that much different? Like from our marriage, from our marriages, from our work. Like, don't we want to feel safe in the contribution that we make work-wise? You can talk that in so many different ways, right? Financially stable, all those kinds of things, whatever. Safe in the team that we work on, dignity, respect. And to enjoy it, to feel silly, to have fun, to let loose. I have a friend whose whole thought process in life is, if it's not fun, I'm not doing it. And I used to get so mad at that statement because I'm like, so much of life is not fun. But I'm like, no, that's actually choices I have made that have enabled me to be that place. One, I love that she feels safe and she's, and then part of that has come through silly games. And I think that's such a parenting framework and just a life free framework, like framework, right? Because I think of even with my own kids, I feel productive when I've had an intentional conversation with them, right. not just shot the shit and played like Mario Kart. Right. Right. Turns out um, though, <laughs> that's, that's, they feel like, uh. <laughs> that's what makes them feel loved and produ- productive. Even we did a games night a few weeks ago. One of the highlights of the last couple months for me, what did we do? Was it intentional? Like, not at all. Silly games. Playing silly games. And my heart felt happy. That was a good night. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh, like, I don't put enough value on this and what that does for my heart and my soul. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think we need, and maybe someone's already written this book and we just haven't found it yet. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like we specifically need to somehow re reframe our language around fun. Because even as you're saying, like about your friend saying, I don't do it if it's not fun, I, I have so many parts like freaking out about how, like you what you said, life isn't just fun. It's not, it's it's not all romance, like it's not all like blah, blah, blah. But but it's I guess it's like we need to actually 
it's not just saying, well, yes, yeah, sometimes you have to do things that aren't fun. It's actually recapitulating fun inside of a different framework. Yeah. Case in point, I went and hiked the Lacloche Trail, 80 kilometers through rain and snow and freezing temperatures, carrying huge packs. We were wet to the bone for three or four days. And while I was researching uh, a bunch of stuff about the hike and pacing and how much food to bring, I came upon this, this uh, description of type two fun. And I had never heard the term before or type B. Either way, the, the point is alternative type fun. And the guy described it. He's like, these are the things that are not like ab- like objectively fun while you're enduring them. But you're going to look back on that as a fun time. That's type two fun. Yeah, I love you, Jonathan. And I love that this is type two fun for you. That is not too type two fun for me. And I think that's the beautiful part. And that's fine, right? Like we're going to have different things, but it's kind of, it's, but that's the kind of shift I feel like that we need to make with a bunch of things. Totally. Right. Like running through an airport, stressed out, trying to catch your flight with three kids in tow is not fun, but man, that story is rich to tell later and you have a good laugh and it ends up being type two fun. Okay. So then circling back to everything counts during the episode you had shared a story of i don't know the lord of the rings or the hobbit and how they had kind of built the area first planted yeah. and let it sit for a year before they started filming that's right and I've, I've been sitting with that because i think that's where i almost would encompass type two fun where it's like, okay so i did the mad dash of running through the airport and it was hard and we got on the plane and we're ready to cuss each other out but was it like when I look back on the trip, was it worth it? Is it part of the soil and the garden that my children now grow in and I have grown in? Absolutely. Like I wouldn't take away the experience. It's kind of like, okay, well, I'm okay. Do like we can do hard things, yeah. but we've been in a reframework of fun and what creates that rich soil. I don't know. I'm again. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I think I think probably the problem is like that we have we have split these into different categories. There's productive work, there's hard things, there's fun, and they are distinct categories. And I guess that's bogus. They're not distinct categories. They can each be nestled within one another. And so so we need to see fun. What we I think what we've been talking about here is seeing fun as valuable. Yeah. But it's also seeing work as fun. Yeah. And seeing productive things as being fun. And if they're not fun, then we need to redo the way we do them. And and then also, if our fun somehow, if we can't find value in our fun, maybe we need to change the way we're having fun. Yeah. Maybe your body actually, like there are times where I want to play video games, but I know it's actually not going to bring me any joy or peace or rest. What Mm -hmm. I actually need to go and do, Jonathan, is have a nap. What I actually need to go is go to sauna and be present to myself and enjoy that. It's like a whole ranking of fun. Yeah. But sometimes I'm choosing the wrong one, which devalues fun. But I think this is it, right? Like there's no like p- perfect equation that is fun because what's fun for you may not be fun for me. What's fun for me may not be fun for you. And what's fun for you Monday may not be what's fun for you Tuesday. And that's part of the being present with what your body needs in that moment. Yes. Yes. It's a lot of work. Yes, that's right. That's true. That's good. Yeah. Being present to discern. What do I need? What does my child need? What do we need? What, what, what do we have available to give? Can we do this a fun way? Am I going to say no because it was tiring last time? But maybe this time I'm in a different space. Yeah. So maybe I will just say yes. I said no the last three times you asked to go to the store because it was gonna, it was not going to be good because I was going to the grocery store. I'm not going to bring you to the grocery store, child. Absolutely not. This time I'm just going out to do this, this errand and I could sneak off. Or I could intentionally invite you with me. Yeah. Because I know I said no three times. And yeah, it'll make it a bit slower and whatever and it'll be silly. But maybe silly is okay. Maybe silly is actually more than okay. Silly's the win. 
Not that there needs to be a win, but like that's what she felt safe with, the silly games. And yeah. Yeah, it's so good. Another, another connected to that also in this creativity book. Okay, clearly everyone needs to go uh, and follow Heather Kaliri. Heather has actually been on the podcast before. We talked about dignity. Uh, Heather's really great. And she has a book coming out at some point in the future called Ordinary Creativity. Uh, if she was meaning to keep that a secret, I'm so sorry I've spoiled it. Uh, she also talks in there about sex, reframing sex in the same kind of terms that we can so often think about. We can have climax as the goal of sex rather than pleasure as the goal of sex and fun and silliness as goals of sex. And in climax or an organ or for yeah, whatever. Everybody, right? An yeah. orgasm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that is a big reframe. Just be present to fun and pleasure and silliness and joy. <laughs> and if if something has ceased to become joyous, yeah. then don't fixate on that thing. And this is, this is what may be joyous one day, may not be joyous. Right. The next day. So I feel like we've talked about this, right? Like I have my own trauma history around sex. And so this has been a big conversation and like area of struggle in, in my life and in our marriage. And it's been a journey, but really, and we talked about this on the Sheila Gregoire episode, yeah. the big reframe was that it's not all about intercourse. Like there was still something that was on the pedestal, whether it was like an orgasm, whether, whether it was like this one way it was like, no, we can just have fun together. Um, we've completely digressed, but I, but I mean, this is all still part of it. Right. And especially again, like we were talking about as things change, like as our bodies change, as we get older, like all of these things are changing, right? Like I'm all, I'm already recognizing changes in my libido that I'm assuming are from age. And, you know, it's like funny to notice yeah. and be like, yeah. huh, that yeah. I, I am, my body is, and I think, I think for men, there's, there's a, there's not much of a culture around male changing bodies, right? Like we talk about this with women all the time, or women talk about it with women all the time, but it's a, but yeah, male, our bodies are aging too. Yes. And because we all look handsome and salt and peppery doesn't mean that our vitality decreases also. Somehow though, a dad bod is still far more acceptable than a mom anyways this is like this is you know bad. what though even that though is funny because yeah for sure culturally a dad bod is acceptable but internally i am much less accepting of of my extraness than i am uh enjoying of my wife's extraness so like even that's a whole weird thing right can i look at myself i mean I'm, i've been trying to do this for the last year put my hands on my belly and say this is not fat this is joy yeah. This is here because I ate good food and drank good drinks, often with other people. And I put my hands on my love handles and I go, this is not extra. This is just fun. This is joy. This is good times. Yeah. Really, I'm, not, I'm not doing it enough, Trafina, because I'm, I'm still using language like extra. But listen, I hear you. So we, we had like a women's night last I don't know, not really a women's night. We had a thing last night where we were talking around bodies and one of these stations with like a coloring sheet of a body and it was like coloring the areas that you, you feel are sacred and the areas that you feel are challenges. Mm. Why did it color the whole thing as challenges? Like why was the entire body head to toe a challenge to me? Wow. And I'm like, this is as much work as and healing as I do around it. It's still whether it's like, okay, well, my head just feels like a confusion and there's a mental health piece or like there's a weight piece or whatever it is it's still it's a constant walking out and a undoing and I, so I had a similar moment where I've been trying to speak affirmations over my body recently and so I was doing this and I was journaling it out and just being honest about how my body has grown and I'm like I want to honor that because there have been children that have come out of this there has been COVID that has happened and my body has stayed alive there has been major life transitions. And I felt like Holy Spirit was like, well, your body has had to expand to try to hold space for you. Wow. I was like, shit, I don't want to hold space for myself. 
But also if I don't hold space for myself, who's going to do it? Wow. So anyways, this is like. Everything counts. Everything counts. Which takes us back to silliness. Because if everything, like there's a vulnerability that has to come for you to be silly. Yeah. And so for you to be able to be vulnerable, I think you have to be able to honor what you have and be authentic with what you have to then be like some of the like most brilliant people I know are stand-up comedians who are able to be completely honest about the beautiful and hard parts of their life mm-hmm. and all that into silliness. Yeah. And I'm sure there's like a charade and a performative piece to all of that. Right. Some of it's curated, but still yeah. there is That's, a vulnerability there. Yeah. But, all right. So here's our thing. We're going to try and be more silly. More silly, everybody, because it counts, not because it's silly, not because being silly is silly and meaningless, but because it's a human thing and thus it has value because God made humans the way we are, full of value and worth. Yeah. Jesus laughed. I've been talking about that with people too, like this whole thing about like 12 disciples, there must have been a couple of clowns among them. I feel like... It was really hard as a podcast editor and promoter to find the one nugget, the one mic drop quote from Dave. But that was just because everything was just so real and good and like it felt vulnerable and honest. And it did also feel like a conversation. It didn't feel like we were working around one topic or I mean, we had our questions we had prepped for sure, it. For sure. It didn't feel like we were genuinely going through that. And maybe part of that was I had a kid with me. So I couldn't be my curated professional self. It really was just, it had to flow with what was naturally coming up. Yeah. But that flowed so well. Like, I feel like Kaya was the extra guest and and not, and not like in a way for you to be embarrassed, but like it, it clicks so well. Like it's, it's one of my favorite interviews in recent memory. So wild to me. So. I look I, I'm at, so glad that we started 2023 off with that, with this. It's let's, just very authentic. Let's be joyous and fun. Let's keep having fun this year. Oh my goodness. But okay, so in hindsight, we talk about that, like that was a hard moment for me, interviewing with Kaya. She talks about it weekly. Can you believe I met a real life author? And then she makes us read the Kiki book. And I'm like, you know so many real life authors, child. <laughs> <laughs> believe I'm like but that's so cool it really is it's a highlight of her year and I'm like all right (laughs) so it counts (laughs) if it didn't already uh too good well thank you friends for entertaining our musings in all these directions grace and peace to you we'll be back here soon